This is episode 419 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. Today's article, Preventing, Diagnosing, and Treating Botulism. Hey, I'm Todd Zapolvera, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey everyone, I want to let you know that this episode is sponsored by my ebook, The Preparedness Community's Guide to a Microbiz and Increasing Your Finances. If you'd like some more information, click on the link in the show notes or come on over to the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. All right, so this article comes to us from SurvivalSullivan.com. This is a very important topic for preppers because botulism is no joke. Now, botulism is pretty much, you know, it's not an issue in America and really in a lot of places it's not an issue. However, if we are doing a lot of canning our own food and we are in a survival situation where, uh, you know, we there are no doctors, there are no hospitals, those types of things, this issue becomes very, very important. And so uh, you're going to want to listen all the way to the end because botulism, the way to deal with this is prevention. Because if there was a situation where there's no doctors, there's no uh, hospitals, those types of things, you're, you're kind of stuck out. So you're going to hear that here in just a minute as we get going into this. And you're going to see how important this is. So, um, you know, this is a topic that every prepper, every person who wants to be a little bit more self-reliant, self-sufficient needs to know. And so, like I said, it comes to us from SurvivalSullivan.com, and uh, the article is entitled Preventing, Diagnosing, and Treating Botulism. So let's go ahead and start reading. Botulism is a rare but serious infection that can be lethal. Caused by bacteria in food, water, and animals, it releases dangerous toxins which attack a human's nervous system. It is normally very rare for an average, healthy adult to contract the disease, but those who prepare their own long-term food storage at home are at an increased risk. Storing food for any length of time will always increase the likelihood of infection when compared to eating fresh, but if you want to be ready for whatever the future brings, you might want to cook and stockpile your own food. Being ready for anything means being able to notice when things are going wrong as well as right. People infected with the disease initially show fairly mild symptoms like stomach cramps and vomiting. If left untreated, however, this can develop and become more severe, with paralysis starting at the head and working its way down the body. Onset can happen in as little as 12 hours, although it can take up to three days before anyone realizes what is actually going on. All hospitals in the developed world will hold in stock a life-saving antitoxin. The disease is so severe, however, that even with this medicine, 5-10% to of people who contract botulism still die. It's best, therefore, to make sure you are prepared and avoid contracting it in the first place. So botulism and its symptoms. There are eight different types of bacteria that produce the toxins that give a person or animal botulism. Each produces a different selection of toxins. A to H, which essentially causes the same condition. Botulism A, B, E, and F affect humans, with the A and the E strains eventually leading to paralysis. 
Looking for whole body paralysis as a symptom is a bad idea as it is clearly too late by this point. First, the toxins released by the bacteria affect the gut and then the whole body from the top down. Below, we have a list of symptoms which are common to botulism infection ranked from early to late in terms of when they appear. So here are the symptoms. Nausea and vomiting, dry mouth, difficulty swallowing, drooping face, especially eyelids, double vision, slurred speech, fast heart rate, difficulty breathing. Luckily, botulism cannot be spread from person to person, even with the above symptoms. The spores spread by vomiting, for example, are too few to make someone else in the vicinity unwell. As the more first aid aware of you might have noticed, if you ignore the stomach upset and miss the dry mouth, it could almost seem like the sufferer is having a stroke. In fact, even when admitted to hospitals, botulism's, botulism can be mistaken for other neurological conditions like Julien Barre. I think I have that right. I said that right. There is no need to worry, however, as the toxins can be positively identified in the stomach contents or stool of a patient, allowing treatment to be started right away. This is why if you suspect someone could be a victim, they should seek medical attention immediately. If they get to the stage where it is hard to catch their breath, even if they receive treatment in time to save their life, they could need to be connected to a machine to help them breathe. This could be needed for up to eight weeks after the infection has cleared. This long-lasting effect is why people pay thousands of dollars to have it injected into their face. Now, the most common treatment is a trivalent antitoxin, which treats type A, B, and E. This is available to local government from the CDC. So the different types of botulism. The first is ingested. This is the main area of concern for those who prepare their own food for use either at home or out in the wilderness. When preparing for times ahead, you want to feel confident that your time and effort has been well spent protecting you and your family. One of the core ways of doing this is proper food canning techniques. This stops the dangerous and lethal bacteria from ever having the chance to replicate and be consumed by someone. These bacteria grow best in warm, moist environments and can form outside just canned foods, for example, when smoking fish in surroundings that are too warm. By focusing on prevention, you will be much safer in the long run than not doing your due diligence and relying on a close-by medical center to have an antitoxin available. So here's some prevention. Primary prevention is proper food preparation. It is rare in the Western world to buy prepared food that has become infected by poor practices and hygiene at the food plant. In fact, only 15% of botulism cases in the U.S. come from prepared food. Much more likely is finding that your own self-prepared food has become dangerously overrun with bacteria. Food cans that are bulging in any way after sealing at home are likely to have bacteria multiplying inside of them. They release gas which pressurizes the cans and distorts their shape. Anytime you eat canned food you have prepared yourself, it is always best practice to check the food even if the cans look fine. When opening the can, any foaming or spurting of the liquid inside could be a sign that the contents are spoiled. One sign that can be overlooked in the case of botulism is the smell of cheese. Canned food that smells overly cheesy 
compared to the ingredients you know are in them is a telltale sign of the bacteria multiplying. The bottom line is, if you are worried that the food has gone bad, it has. Do not taste it to test it. This will make you ill. Just throw it out and move on to the next can. So canning food. When you think of canned food, you may either think of the cheaper food in your local supermarket, or you may think of packing for an expedition. Back in 19th century Europe, it was all the rage with the middle class who wanted to show off the latest gadgets available. By the time of the 20th century, however, canned food was integral on the Western Front during the World Wars. Factories back at home had long known that canning food would extend its shelf life at least a year or more, so it was given to soldiers on the front lines to reduce the impact of many foodborne infections. This technology has now long been perfected, and today you can buy canned food all over the world in any cuisine. Cans are a great alternative to other methods like using glass jars, which are heavier to carry, more likely to break, and less able to withstand internal or external pressure. The modern U.S. Army issues MREs or Meals Ready to Eat, which are stored in vacuumed laminate pouches. When hiking, camping, or preparing for long journeys where you want to be self-sustaining, these new 21st century versions are easier to pack and lighter than even cans. The Army have replaced cans with pouches since 1981 as their packing of choice. If you still want to make your own rations rather than buying from a store, there are two techniques to use depending on the food you want to preserve. If you are canning fruit or pickled vegetables, then you can use the basic canning method of a boiling water bath. If you want to can meat, vegetables, or even dairy products, you must use a pressure canner unless you can make the food more acidic than usual. A pH of 4.6 is the maximum for canning food without a pressurizer. If the pH is higher than 4.6 or less acidic, then additives must be, must be added to lower the pH. Manufacturers and factories will also have access to techniques like freeze dryers, ionizing radiation, and salt baths that those at home are unlikely to have. Okay, guys, I just want to say this, and I am not an expert, so don't quote me on this at all. Um, but I think I remember reading articles on canning that you just shouldn't mess with dairy products. But I could be completely wrong on that. So someone can email me on, and, or let me know or leave a comment on episode 419 and uh, I'll correct that. But I, I think I've read that before where dairy products, you shouldn't really mess with that with canning. But anyway, so we'll, uh, we'll just leave it at that. And if I'm wrong, let me know and I'll uh, correct it on a future podcast. Uh, but again, I just want to just clarify, I am not an expert, so I'm definitely not an expert on canning. All right, so <laughs> enough with that, right? All the, uh, the uh, disclaimers there. Let me go ahead and keep going on. As mentioned above, most foods need sterilization with a pressure cooker. This is because the food must be boiled in water over 100 degrees, often up to 130. You can pick up a cheap pressure cooker at a local store as long as you also buy a thermometer to double check the temperature of your food. For those who have a bit more to spend on survival preps, you can buy an electronic pressure cooker and set the time and temperature you need to cook your food at. Once a safe minimum temperature has been reached at least 114 degrees, you must make sure the pressure inside the cooker reaches at least 10 psi or 10 pounds per square inch. Don't forget that your container must be cleaned and then sterilized too before using it to store food. 
The next type of botulism is infant. This type of botulism is picked up because the immune system of babies that fights the world of bacteria around them is still developing. Research shows that they are more likely to pick up the bacteria in tiny amounts from everyday surfaces and from playing on the ground. The bacteria are left unchallenged in their bodies and start to multiply, eventually forming a full-blown infection. If your baby contracts botulism, this is unlikely to be as a result of being in a dirty or unclean environment. In fact, if an older child or adult came into contact with the surface that left the baby ill, they wouldn't go on to become infected. For pregnant women and new mothers, there is a tidal wave of information on the internet on what to give and what to not give a baby. One food commonly mentioned is honey, and the reason behind this is the risk of botulism. Different strains of honey have different levels of water and acidity in them based on the region and type of bee they are harvested from. There are no reported cases of adults becoming unwell in this way, but the tiny amounts of bacteria in honey go on to be a big health risk for infants. The USDA recommends that children under the age of one year are not fed any type of honey to avoid this exact issue. If you have a small child, it can be harder to detect the warning signs of botulism early on. Make sure you read ahead to the symptoms section below to make sure you're equipped with the right knowledge for a loved one or someone else's child. So the next type is injected. Your local beauty clinic and heroin users have one thing in common, botulism toxin and needles, or as it is more commonly known, Botox. Heroin users have a weakened immune system as a result of their drug use. Piercing their skin with dirty needles is what eventually gives them the infection. Beauticians and plastic surgeons use very controlled amounts of toxins, not the infectious bacteria, to make what is essentially a muscle relaxant. The toxins block the neuron receptors, weakening your facial mus muscles and reducing the appearance of wrinkles. As it is the same toxin that makes you ill, Botox from an untrained technician or taken at home can kill you. The next form is inhaled. Following on from the previous section, you might wonder where Botox is harvested from. The bacteria is grown in labs around the world and the toxins are then separated from the mix to be sold to pharmaceutical companies. What does this do with inhaling Botox? Well, be reassured knowing that there have been almost no cases of infection from breathing in the bacteria or toxins. When this has happened, it has been because of an accident or a mistake in a lab where it is being isolated. A vial or a glass bottle used to grow the bacteria releases the spores when broken, potentially infecting any scientist near it. And the last form is animal. So this is important for anyone who might use hunting as a means of finding food in the outdoors. While it is exceptionally unlikely that an infected bird or other animal can infect you directly, eating an animal that has the bacteria in their system will. When hunting for game or raising poultry and other farm animals, always make sure that you observe the animal's behavior beforehand. If they look slow or unwell, regardless of whether you think it is botulism, you shouldn't be eating it. There are any number of infections that an animal could have. Signs of illness should be a warning not to eat them, wild or domesticated. Protect your hunting dog as well. If they begin to eat down prey like ducks, they are equally at risk. So the final word is this. There is no home or wilderness treatment for botulism. Guys, let me read that one more time. There is no home or wilderness treatment for botulism. 
The toxins that course through your body are some of the strongest neurotoxins known to man in science. If you do develop symptoms, they will only get worse, not better. So even if your body is able to fight and kill off the bacteria, there's no way to clear your body of the toxins which shut down your nervous system. If you are out in the wild, far from civilization, you should always have a rescue plan in place so you can contact emergency services. Remember the signs and symptoms and check your food, living or canned, before you decide to eat it. All right, guys, so that is the problem there, and that's why this is so important. Again, there is no home or wilderness treatment for botulism. And so the answer here is you got to go find medical treatment as soon as possible. Well, if you are in a collapse scenario, if you're in a situation where you can't go to the hospitals or there's no hospitals, there's no doctors, there's no antitoxins, right? Did you get it? When I read the piece about antitoxins are, uh, you can get them from local governments or they are sold to, to local governments. So it's not like it's readily available. And so that is going to be the, the, the thing that's really important for anybody who is in that survival situation to really get and to understand. Does that mean we don't can? No. Does that mean that we don't eat canned food? No. It just means you have to be very aware on top of all the other things that you do, right? On top of all the other, this is just, this is one more thing that you need to know. You need to be very, very aware of. And so, you know, again, I talk about Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy all the time. I talk about their book, you know, their wilderness survival book. And, you know, they write from a point of view of, you know, there's not help coming, right? But this is, again, this is one of those situations where help is not coming. And so the result is if you get botulism, if there is a collapse scenario, you're going to die. I mean, that's just a lot of people are going to die for even smaller, you know, less severe things than that. But that's the case. And so that's why you have to be very, very careful with this. And so some of the symptoms you remember that that uh, we read earlier on were, you know, dry mouth. And actually, let me read that again. Uh, nausea and vomiting and dry mouth and difficulty swallowing. Right. So those are those those uh, first ones could be so many different things. Right. So if you're in a survival situation and someone's dealing with those. All right. I mean, you're you're starting to think you're starting to process. You're starting to to critically think this situation. But then you get the drooping face, uh, especially the eyelids, double vision, slurred speech, fast heart rate, difficulty breathing. And so, like he said, when when I was reading that, I was like, man, yeah, that could be a stroke. And so a lot of people could uh, see that differently. So if you're not people don't know that you've been nauseous and vomiting and you have dry mouth and difficulty swallowing they start seeing the drooping face and, and all the other things, man, they can uh, possibly think you're having a stroke. But even at that, I mean, it's going to be probably too late for you if there's there's nothing there. And so uh, you can try all the, the things that, uh, you know, I'm sure there's people out there, like, for instance, in the comment section, this one person said that they ate some bad ham. And so they started taking garlic and turmeric and all this other stuff. And so, yeah, I mean, if you were in that kind of situation and you had a loved one like that, yeah, I would be giving them all that kind of stuff as much as possible. But, you know, could, would that really deal with botulism? And of course, this person, you know, I, I don't know if they were telling the truth or not. But, uh, you know, that's that's one of those things to be concerned about. So, yes, have canned food, but you need to be smart about it. If you pop it open and it doesn't smell right. So it, 
if you can remember that, the cheesy smell, right? So if you open up a can and it smells cheesy for whatever reason, and it is not mac and cheese or whatever in a can, then you need to throw it away. Don't even try it. You know, it's not worth it going that route. Now, one thing about canned food. So he was talking about the, the cans that you can buy at the store. And then you can, he was also talking about, you know, doing your own canning. And definitely if you were in a survival situation and you needed to, uh, you know, have long-term food storage or you needed to to uh, to do that, you would be canning. That would be one thing. Hopefully you have lids and cans and, and all that kind of stuff. But let me say one thing about store-bought cans. A lot of the times you're starting to see these pop lids now because it's so much easier for them to um, to be able to, you know, for people to open them and you don't need a, a, a can opener. And so that's very nice and very convenient. The problem is, is that those pop cans are a point of failure. So think about it. If a can starts bulging and, you know, it starts expanding because it does have some botulism in there, then that pop can can start to, you know, eventually break, the seal can break and, you know, spores and stuff and all that kind of junk could come squirting out or at least could come, you know, uh, oozing out, you know, and then that would be getting all over your pantry and that is a disaster that you don't want to be dealing with. So, uh, you know, you need to be thinking about that as well. If you are stocking cans for long-term food storage, you need to be, you know, looking at those and observing those because I know they're doing it for convenience, but at the same time, that's a point of failure. So think about it. If you are bringing a can home, and, and this has happened to me even before where like I bring cans home and my countertop is tile. And so I just bang it, you know, very rough up against the, the tile or you hit it against something else. You drop it on the floor and uh, it causes that pop lid to, to start to fail. And uh, definitely you either need to open it up right away and start using it or you just you just throw it out. Right. Or, you know, whatever, put it in a, you know, put it in the in the refrigerator or whatever, you know, change, uh, change out the containers. But, uh, you know, that's one of the things that you need to be thinking about if they're not a pop pop lid and it is just a regular can that you would need a can opener and you start to see that bulge in there. Well, then, OK, then, you know, that that's not, not that's not good. Don't even open it. Don't even try that. You don't want that stuff squirting out all over you. And then if you have if whatever you have done your own canning and that uh, that lid, I don't know if the lid could be a point of failure if, you know, things start expanding because, of course, you have glass and then you have that metal lid. And eventually, I guess if uh, the the pressure builds up so much, it can uh, go ahead and pop that lid. I guess I've never experienced that and uh, don't want to. So I don't know. I, I would think that that could be a point of failure as well. So this is a very important topic, one that you should you know, be aware of. Definitely remember the cheesy smell when you are opening cans, right? You need to know that. You need to know that if uh, you are concerned and you think that you know, there could be some weirdness in any kind of canned food that you open up, don't even risk it. And know that you just you know, look for the signs. Uh, so if whatever reason, someone just ate food, like you're in a survival situation and someone just ate some food and they start, you know, throwing up and vomiting. And maybe, you know, you should need to start asking the question, okay, so did you eat anything else that nobody else ate? Right. And so if you did eat something else, what was it? You know, where did you get it from? Did you get it from a can? All right. So 
tell me a little bit about this or was it an animal or whatever and so those one of those things where you need to be investigating because it could just be that they got sick it could just be that they're nauseous and and whatever their stomach just you know they decided to throw up but it's one of those things that you need to be aware of right and and check out those symptoms so guys that's over at survivalsullivan.com like always i'm going to link to it in the show notes so you can go check it out and uh, if you want you can just you know read this a little bit more carefully or listen to it again and so that uh, you really get this information uh, into you because I think this is very important. Well, everyone, that is it for episode 419 and another week of podcast episodes in the books. Thanks so much for taking the time to hang out with me this week and listen to the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Hey, if you are not subscribed to the show, you want to head on over to theprepperwebsitepodcast.com. And that way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. Hey, you know, and one of the things that I do, I'm going to ask if you would, I would love for you to share out our episodes. If you could take the time to come on over to theprepperwebsitepodcast.com. I make it very easy for you. There are links all in the show notes and you can come over to the to theprepperwebsitepodcast.com and share out our episodes. You know, when our episodes are shared out on social media, you know, that is just a, a huge blessing because more people are seeing it. If you can let people know about the podcast, if you, you know, like, hey, I'm listening to this great podcast or, you know, there's this podcast about preparing the wide range of information. It's uh, five times a week, you know, and so we're out there trying to just get the message of preparedness out there. And if you can help out with that, I greatly appreciate it. Like I said, I make it very easy I have a lot of the social media links in the show notes and I have a lot of the social media links, you know, on the website. And so just really make it easy for you. And while you're doing that social media sharing, I would love to connect with you as well. My social media accounts are there. I, uh, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. And I'd love to connect with you. I mean, one of the major ways that you can do that is come on over to the Facebook group and be a part of that. I'd love for you to hang out over there. There's a lot of great uh, smart preppers over there with a lot of wisdom. And if you ever have a question or, you know, you have something that you want to share out, you know, just, uh, you know, some information that you found on the web that you thought was really great for preppers, you could come over there and share it out. And uh, man, people would greatly appreciate that. You know, it's just a, a good group of people. And uh, I'm really proud of what we have over there. And so I'd love for you to be a part of that as well. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until next week, stay prepped and aware. Peace.